Hello, welcome to Recapping with Delora and Ashley. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Recapping Podcast. Also, comment, rate, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're on all the things. We would love to hear your ratings of the movies and shows we review. Email us your audio file to recappingpodcast at gmail.com and we'll play it during the show. Or DM us on Instagram and we will post and read it on air. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you. Hey, Delora. Hey, Ashley. So it's been a little minute, but we are back with an in-conversation episode for the peoples. I'm so excited. It's always fun to get different perspectives on the pod, different thoughts on the pod. This one is Dr. Michelle Foss, one of the lovely ladies I had the opportunity to meet in Atlanta at the Black Podcast Festival, the gift that keeps on giving. So Dr. Foss is a professor of rhetoric and media at Sacramento State and we dive in as we usually do get the highlights of her journey, talk to her about some television, because that is really the main yes. touch point that we have in common from the podcast and just, you know, give some gems for anybody hoping to follow in her footsteps. Her story is quite fascinating. It's almost like unreal. <laughs> and so I'm super excited for everyone to hear our conversation with her. Well, without further ado, guys, here's our in conversation with Dr. Michelle Foss. Hi, Michelle. Hi. So excited to have you for our in conversation series that we've been doing to yeah. chat it up with folks who are in the industry, who are interested in TV and film and love all of that as we are. And as I've mentioned already, you are a PhD professor who teaches media criticism, television criticism, rhetoric and social influence. So we're kind of going on the academic side to hear your thoughts and your experience and your journey on, you know, this love and fascination we have with all things entertainment and television. So yes, yes. Yes. So with that, Delora and I are excited to launch into some questions with you. I can't wait. The first being, please walk us and our listeners through the highlights of your journey thus far from growing up in Sacramento, California to becoming a professor of rhetoric and media at Sacramento State and launching the TV Doctor podcast yes well I'm like how long do we have because it's it's, (laughs) (laughs) I think it's an interesting journey so I I gotta go all the way back I gotta start kind of towards the beginning so we love it okay great (laughs) so I'm definitely I consider myself from Sacramento like my family has deep roots in Sac like back to the 40s my family has been in Sacramento but I was actually born in Oregon and lived there until I was a, a preteen. And then we moved to Sacramento. Well, we moved back to Sacramento. So in Oregon, that was kind of a unique experience for me because <laughs> I mean, you can read between the lines and probably figure out why, but uh, are black people there? That's correct. That is <laughs> that exactly. I didn't even have to say it. You already do. So uh, in the town where I grew and it wasn't even like city Oregon. It wasn't Portland. It was a little town. 
in Oregon and my dad is white. Uh, you know, my mom is black. So the number of black people in the town was two <laughs> me and my mom. Wow. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Whoa. I did hear a legend of <laughs> a black girl that lived like in the next town over. And I was like, Oh, I'd like to meet her. <laughs> like I just, the legend was, of the other black I love it. <laughs> the legend of the other black girl. Right race was not something that I necessarily thought about. Like I knew I was different from everybody else that I grew up with, but I didn't, I didn't really think about it too much until one day, my dad was the one who took me to school and my friends were waiting for me. And I guess they'd never seen my dad. And so we pull up out in front of the school and I hop out and I walk up to them and they're like, Oh, hmm. and I was like, what, what's going on? They were like, well, we didn't know you were adopted. And I was like, I'm adopted. I didn't know that either. Wow. Like, okay. So I get home after school that day and I'm talking to my mom and I'm like, yeah, you know, so let's talk about me being adopted. And she's like, you're not adopted. What are you talking about? And I'm like, well, you know, they, the homies said that my dad is white and I'm black. So that means I'm adopted. She was like, okay. All right. All right. That's <laughs> Mama, let's have right. a conversation. <laughs> I guess, I guess now we're talking about this. So my mom and I used to watch TV all the time. Like she's the one that is almost single-handedly responsible for my TV nerddom. This is Same our with origin us. story as yeah, well. See, perfect. <laughs> right. I'm in a safe space here. I feel that. TV was never like a babysitter for me. My mom definitely encouraged me to be very thoughtful and critical, even at a very, very young age of what I was watching. So it would be like, wow, well, you know, what do you think that boy meant by that? And, oh, well, you know, that talking flower is very interesting. And, you know, what does that mean? Even from a very young age. So she knew that in that moment of trying to explain to me something as complex as race and ethnicity and mixed race at that, she knew that she could probably go into that well of TV examples to give me something that would help me make sense of what it was. And so she was like, okay, Star Trek, because <laughs> that was one of our favorite shows that we would watch oh, together. Yes. So she's like, okay, Star Trek, let's talk about Spock. And she's like, so where, what is Spock? And I was like, he's the science officer. And, she, and she's like, no, I mean, like, where's he from? And I was like, well, he's Vulcan. And she was like, okay, is he just Vulcan? And I was like, well, his mom is human, but he's Vulcan though. And she was like, oh, okay. But I mean, kind of, he's both though, right? Because if he's a little bit of what his mom is and a little bit of what his dad is, and that's how, you know, people live, right? That's how people work. And I was like, yeah, but you know, when he's on the enterprise, he's the only Vulcan. So the only thing that everybody around him sees, they don't see the human parts of him. They just see the <laughs> blackness basically, right? They Absolutely. just see the, the Vulcan because it's what's different from them. So I was like, wait a minute, am I Spock? And she was like, yeah, well, I mean, if you're okay with that, yeah, that's basically what's going on in your life. So I was like, love that. So sweet. Am I, I into it. it? I was like, I love that. So, you know, from that point on, it was pretty easy for me to understand, even, you know, as a little kid, it was easy for me to understand something so complex as race and TV was the way through that. So, okay. So I go into the world and I'm still enjoying TV, but I've, I'm recognizing 
that I'm using it. I'm using television to help me figure out the things in life that are confusing or challenging or frustrating in some kind of way. You know, I go to college and I end up studying communication and film at that point. Then when I decided to go to grad school, it was really just because I was kind of terrified of the quote unquote real world. Didn't feel ready to get into that nine to five, be a grown up life. So I was like, well, I'm just terrified of that. So I'm going to try to keep going to school. <laughs> I just want to just <laughs> keep going to student. school. Exactly. My second term in grad school, I took this class in media criticism and the professor comes into the room and he takes all of these books that we're going to be reading and he spreads them out on the table and he's like, okay, these are our books. And one of them caught my eye and I've got it. I got a little prop. It was this book. Name and, the book for us, Michelle, just for oh, our audience it's and listeners. Enterprise Zones, Critical Positions on Star Trek. This was one of the books that we were supposed to be reading for school. And I was like, I have a question. <laughs> <laughs> it's day one, right? I'm like, do you mean to tell me that I am in graduate school and we're going to be talking about Star Trek? And he's like, yep. So I was like, okay, follow up question, please. Do you then mean to suggest that it is your job, it is your profession to watch TV like Star Trek and talk to the people about TV and write about TV and that's your job? People give you money to do that? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, it's a little bit more than that, but yes. And I was like, but that's it. Sign me up. I don't care what else you say. The rest of the time I know you, I have found it. Yep. So it's basically my job to watch TV, which guess what? I was going to be doing that anyway. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, and talk to people about the things that I find cool and interesting and meaningful in TV. And that's my job. Like, yeah, we, we'll do that. We'll do that till the wheels fall off. You know, what started as just my mom kind of being creative on the spot and figuring out how to help me through one of those, the trickier parts of life, you know, the, the parts of life that are harder to understand. From that moment, I grow up to basically do that. And that that's actually how the podcast was born too, because I started thinking, okay, well, you know, I, I love my students and I love working with my students and helping them understand this very special medium that I love so much. But my classes are like, you know, 25 students a, a semester. And I'm like, I want to share this with more people. You know, I, I think it's interesting. I think it's fun. I want to tell everybody that that's how the idea for the TV doctor was born. I'm not a, I'm not a doctor on TV, but I play one in real life. Like my job is still a lot of fun. Yes. Thank you. Thank love you. That slogan. Uh, that epiphany happened for me with, I got to do a paper on War of the Roses and yes. War of the Roses is one of my favorite films and yes. I, the teacher was like if you've seen the movie you don't have to come to class I was like I own the movie okay I'll be at that <laughs> you're like I can do a performance <laughs> of it right now what do you want exactly. <laughs> it's so funny I Love attended it. Bowling Green State University and one of my electives or several of my electives w- was in pop culture they have a pop culture yes. degree that you can get yes. there yeah and so I have written papers on yeah. the evolution of boy bands and yeah. 
uh, Tina Turner and Ike. It's a phenomenal thing when you are able to put what you know and love into something productive like education and things along those lines. So so I want to ask you, you explain your love for TV, but what about movies and music? Yeah, I love all of it. I am a hardcore pop culture junkie, but if we're ranking, TV is first. There's something special for me about television in that it is, it's what they call the people's medium. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but again, I feel safe here. So I'm just going to say whatever. You are. (laughs) There's a little elitism in film still uh, yes. that, uh, <laughs> yes. you know what I mean? And so, you know, film and folks who create film and folks who study film have a tendency to look down their noses a little bit at TV, which is ridiculous, right? Art is art. Uh, you don't hear painters talking about, oh, you do pencil work. How, how cute, right? right. How quaint. Versus watercolor versus- <laughs> Exactly. Like- <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, artist. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's modes art. Of exactly. Expressing the art. Yeah. Exactly. Funny so, yeah, too. no, I'm into all of it, but I just, I have a special place in my heart for like the scrappy little underdog of TV, which you ain't know, so much an underdog anymore, by the by way. By far. Yeah. Right. And I'm sorry, I keep feeling like I'm about to cut you off, but I was going to no, say, it's, you know, it's what's all good. Funny too is I grew up more so loving movies for yeah. sure, but I feel like we've entered such a golden age of television mm-hmm. where on the content side, it's just the stories are richer. Yeah. I feel like I enjoy the more long form these days, really being yeah. able to navigate through character development is very important to me with projects that I really, really get into. And yeah. a lot of times you just don't have the bandwidth to do that in a movie unless you're going right. to do a series of movies. Correct. That's right. So a lot of my favorite projects, yeah. I'm like, I wish that had been a show now, you know what I mean? Versus a movie. Yeah. Right. So, exactly. Yes. Well, and cause you, you want to spend more time with it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, it's a, a relationship that you build with the shows that are your favorites, you know, where when it ends, you can go through that, you know, depression, that sadness and grief about the end of the relationship, you know? Me and Delora even talk oh. about this with books because Delora, yes. well, I'm like, can I get a seven book series if I really love the series? Delora's right. like, I cannot do more than that. I three. have okay. a commitment issue when it comes to books. <laughs> Give me a trilogy that's ideal. And that's it. Yes. But I might go for books, yeah. but I have actually been on a major novel binge. And nice. your point, talking about letting the story breathe when we're able to adapt these these novels into television yes chef's kiss one of our favorite series during the pandemic was little fires everywhere yes oh my gosh the ability to let that story breathe yeah it was so good I really loved that show but it's interesting thinking about well I mean there's there's a whole nut to crack there with how do you move from source material and and interpret that for a television presentation? Literature to film is easier, right? Because the audience comes in expecting that to be it, right? It starts here, Mm -hmm. it ends here, it's over. That's the story. And then if there's a sequel or a a trilogy, then it's like, oh, you know, I didn't even know. But if it's a TV show, it's almost like we expect it to continue, right? Yeah. And so now we're getting these, you know, limited series where it's yes. like, no, you get 10 episodes, that's it. 
I'm like, well, that's just a film. It's just a long film. Yeah, normal, <laughs> people, normal People yep. is the perfect example. Yeah. One of our favorites as well. The yeah. very first show that we recapped yes. is Normal People. Oh, I love that. And I told Ashley, I randomly started watching it on a rainy day. And it just like a book, you just yes. sink into it. Yes. And it was, it, it gave us all the emotions, right? Right. And, the fact that it was over, I still was okay with it, but I do understand yeah. what you're saying, where yeah. it's like, what about the next chapter? Correct. You know? It's important yeah. to know when to be done, too. Because yes. there's some series that when Drag you on, don't know when to stop, you then I'll stop it. for you. Yeah. And I don't <laughs> want to say I don't want to say Big Little Lies is like that for me a little bit. I love yeah. the first season of Big Little Lies. I understand. Liam Moriarty, I've read, I think, almost everything she's put out at this point. Nice. Yeah. But and Meryl Street, obviously, a season two, just alone for Meryl Street was phenomenal. Right. But it's important to know when to stop. Yeah. And the line, I will not not be rich. That was needed. <laughs> I'm like saying. All right, yeah. Michelle. Yeah. According to the Women of Sacramento bio I read on ah. you, because yes, we do our research. On the <laughs> Lovely. You've, Thank you. you've taught courses in media aesthetics television criticism, as I mentioned, and rhetoric yeah. and social influence. So yeah. is there a particular course talking about courses we've gotten to take that were influential for us yeah, yeah. that has stood out to you in terms of student response, impact, or just lessons you've learned along sure. the way? Television criticism, that class is obviously my baby, but interestingly, it's not my baby. So here's a, a part of the story, my journey that I, I failed to mention. So as I'm reading, again, I'm a like, first year grad student, I'm reading this book and I come across this chapter, which is about Lieutenant Worf, who is a Klingon. And it's a chapter about how that character signifies racial, cultural, and national differences. When I read this chapter, I was just, my brain just exploded. I just couldn't wrap my brain around how great that was. And it was like reading somebody who was saying the kind of things that I wanted to say. So I read that chapter and I was like, well, I know what I want to do for my dissertation then, or for my thesis at that point. So I used that chapter as kind of the foundation piece, theoretically, for all of the work that I went on to do in my thesis. I went to the University of Florida for my PhD, ended up doing my dissertation also on Star Trek, but a different Star Trek series. And came back to Sacramento after getting the PhD. And I was just, you know, looking for positions, but not like in the job hunt. I was teaching adjunct at a couple of different colleges. I had a, a friend who we would carpool. One day, my friend says, I'm not going to go to work on Friday because I have to go to a funeral. And I was like, oh, I'm so sad to hear that. You know, who, who was it that passed? That's one of the faculty at Sac State. And I'm like, oh no, who, who? And she said the name Leah Vandenberg. Leah Vandenberg was the author of that chapter that I had read in that book that changed my entire life, right? Chills. The fact that she was at Sac State and I was living in Sacramento and I didn't know it had I known I would have camped out in front of her office and she'd be like, do you even go here? And I would have been like, no, I have a whole PhD, but I just want to learn more from you. So she had passed away. And so I, you know, I was devastated obviously, but her position at Sac State opened 
I applied for it. And that's how I ended up at Sac State teaching that's at Sac State. Wild, Michelle. But it gets deeper. Wow. <laughs> but but it gets even deeper than that. So she created this class, television criticism. She wrote the class from the ground up. She wrote the textbook for the class. That's TV Crit. That's the class that now I teach. So it's not really my baby. It's her baby that I adopted and love. You know, it is my baby now. That's that mind class, blowing, by the way. That's that's that's, that's a how the world works. Be. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a meant to be. This is. Yeah. I mean, you don't need any other signs to tell you this was your Correct. path. You're supposed to be here. Yeah. So I love that class, and I treat it with you know deep, deep respect for her vision, what she wanted the class to be, what she knew it could do, the way it could change people's perspective and, you know, everything. So I do love that class, but I have recently been developing a class on fandom. Soon come. I was curious, like, have you ever attended Comic-Con? I haven't, but when I tell you I want to so bad. That sounds like the three of us are going to do a Comic-Con trip. Let's do it. Let's go. I'm in. All right. Do you believe in guilty pleasures in terms of media? Why or why not? Yeah. And then do you have one if you do? So, you know, I was thinking a lot about this idea of the guilty pleasure when I was recording my last episode, which is about hate watches. And Kardashians. Sorry. (laughs) No, yeah, exactly. (laughs) We all have one. Right. And so I think there's possibly a a little bit of a blurry line between what is a hate watch and what is a guilty pleasure. So I think most people would define a guilty pleasure as something that they enjoy, but maybe they think they shouldn't, that other people would find it silly or they wouldn't understand why you would like that, right? And so my thing with a guilty pleasure is let's not be guilty about what brings us pleasure, right? Like (laughs) in all the ways, Michelle. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Like, let's not feel guilty about (laughs) finding pleasure and joy in the world. Like in this world, right? Don't feel guilty (laughs) about that. I was inspired by a comment that Mindy Kaling said because she was doing an interview and she's like, my guilty pleasure. And she's like, you know what? I don't believe in them. She's like, I believe in pleasures and I enjoy XYZ. And I was like, Yes. Yeah. Because again, I'm on a major reading binge. Yes. I've been consuming a lot of rom-coms lately. Yeah. I was never a rom-com novel reader. Sure. Ashley and I, we were only into like YA. Yeah. Dystopian future. Hunger yeah. Games, yeah. 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 You know, yeah. The, uh, yeah. Divergent. And so when it came to rom-coms, I never thought twice about it, but then we both, well, I was telling her that I was going through a hard time yeah. and I came across rom-com because there was a black author and I was mm. like yes sit your black women in these stories and so I yes. started yeah. just reading and that was Jasmine and, right Guillory you're talking about Jasmine Guillory yeah and I've since you know come come across several others but what I ultimately realized I had an aha moment the reason why I enjoyed these stories they're short one and then two there's a happy ending and yeah. the happiness is the point. Yes. And I'm like, I 
I can't get into novels right now whether I'm gonna cry or not if my protagonist dies. I need the happy right. ending. I need yeah. the, the resolution. And I was embarrassed to admit that. Like, oh, I love rom-coms, you know? No. But mm-hmm. I was like, no, no. shame. No. They bring me joy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so just, yeah, embrace that. And, uh, you know, and there's a little bit of a, I think um, the nuance there is it's only a guilty pleasure because you think that other people would feel a way about it. Yeah. And so who cares what other people think? That part. Yeah. So, you know, the the guilty, yeah, cut that off. The, don't feel guilty about it. But now a hate watch is something different. And <laughs> yeah, a hate watch is something different. I think we get a, a different, it's still pleasure, but it's a different kind of pleasure that we get from a hate watch. I can tell you there's a project or a show that I started watching that I thought was going to be pleasurable. And now I'm just straight hate watching it to yes. hopefully move through it. And it's what in the it? dark on Netflix because oh. it started where I thought it was going to be good. It was a recommendation. And actually my mom is the one who's forcing us to keep, <laughs> has been forcing to keep going just to finish. Yes. But it's too much has happened. I stopped enjoying it, but it's kind of like becomes a hate watch. Cause you're like, I don't love this, but I need mm-hmm. to know the end. Mm-mm. basically to know Mm-mm. what's going to happen. So I know. And well, and that's an upcoming episode that I'm doing as well. Those shows that let's just say that tune in <laughs> in the forthcoming weeks, because yeah, I want to talk about that. These shows that are like, why am I still in that part of the, the narrative? You know what I mean? Like, why yes. do I, why do I continue to care about this or even worse when you are committed to something you're into it you're there and then they're like canceled <laughs> goodbye you don't ever get to know the end of that story yes those yes. hit hard for that me personally what brings you joy so the show lately that brought me extreme joy out of nowhere i did not expect this show to hit like that was a show called claim to fame I just really loved it. It was so silly. You know, a lot of the shows that I gravitate to are the ones that are these very heavy, weighted, intense storylines with like, this is going to change how you look at this aspect of your life kind of programming. Mm. Claim to fame is not that. (laughs) It is not that. It is cotton candy. Literally, you put it in your mouth and it just melts. Did I even eat anything? I don't know, but I feel good and like buzzed (laughs) after that, you know? (laughs) Maybe it's a sugar rush and it's not going to last, but it's just, I loved that show. It was so fun. And because it also was a little bit of like, you know, I started having side conversations with people like, oh, well, who do you think so-and-so is? Like, oh, I think it's so-and-so. I think it's so-and-so, you know, with the, the people of Twitter. So that, that brought me joy, especially after two hours of The Bachelorettes where I was like, we're all doomed as a species. You know, this is I've not good. I've gone down we the go bachelor, Bachelorette path and yeah, it can be tough, especially just... Oh. After all these years, you still see that most of those couples never make it yeah. past, you know, the engagement. Yeah. And if they do, they're not together very long. Like what yeah. keeps or us glued? Just the motivations mm-hmm. behind the contestants. They're oh, not yeah. even hiding it anymore. No. Like they're like, I will Fashion be your paradise. Right. Brendan and whatever the other young lady's name was, that blew yeah, up what was, in their see, faces. And what was her name? We don't even know. It doesn't even matter. It's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Piper Page, <laughs> one of those. Peas. Oh, Piper. It was yeah. Piper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it extends beyond TV because then I'll go to their social media because I want to see have they lost followers? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's cyclical. It's yep. 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 Because so, then we're like, yeah, I want to I want to watch you reap your uh, punishments. Absolutely. For the way that you behaved. Especially because Natasha was my girl. But let me not let me not go down this rabbit hole. Right. Exactly. I'm like, we could just have a conversation about Bachelor Nation. Yes. You can do that. I, and we love Rachel Lindsay because we listen love to her, her learning podcast. Adore her. Love Rachel. Game changer. Yes. Game sure. changer. Fearless. I love yes. how fearless she is for being able to speak up for what's right. And yes, yes, I'm sure her being a lawyer does not hurt. That didn't yeah. hurt. That didn't hurt. She has such but, a great temperament for right. these types of situations that she right. finds herself in. Right. For Rachel Lindsay alone. We are grateful for Bachelor Nation. There you go. So speaking of favorite TV projects and joys, what is your favorite TV project of 2022 so far? And if you can't just name one, give me your top three. Yeah. So, I mean, Claim to Fame is, that has been my favorite of the light and uplifting, you know, that's, that's the one that I was excited about where I would get home and I'd be like, let me jump on my TiVo and get this episode that I was digging in all of the, like the Twitter and all of that. I did love that, but I'm just in terms of construction, I really appreciated, uh, W. Kamau Bell's limited series. We need to talk about Cosby. Mm. It's that's good TV because he's right. And we do need to talk about Cosby and we need, we need to have talked about Cosby a lot longer than we have been having that conversation. Mm. That I would say is one of my favorite things to come out of 2022 so far because of the conversation that needed to be had. But just in terms of like the, the spectacle, I have to take us over to House of the Dragon. I have to do it because when I tell you how fed up I was like throwing things fed up at the end of Game of Thrones. Yeah, um, were. <laughs> how I, I mean, it's the people who were paying time. attention were. It's a dark yeah, time. I was pissed off, and so like I was mad. Like I knew those people personally, and they had wronged me. <laughs> we are all on the same page because I'm so glad. Always say Game of Thrones is the best. TV series ever with the exception of season eight. Like we say yeah, that all exactly. the time. Asterisk. <laughs> There's an asterisk. And the greatest the ending, show of all time. Asterisk. The ending of anything is everything. So of course. I cannot. I cannot How did you not recommend. stick the landing? Yeah. How because did you not? I feel like the, the creators were already moved on yeah. in their minds, yes. maybe in their hearts. You'd have to ask them. Well, that's what they get. They were thinking, oh, we're going to do Star Wars. Exactly. They thought we got our next project in the bag. We're ready to go on with our lives. And you could feel it. Like in the fandom, we felt it. There's a reason why, as an audience, we rejected what happened. (laughs) Correct. The end of season seven, I was watching that episode, that season finale, in a fandom bar in Las Vegas with all the other thronies wow. and people were cosplaying. There was a woman there who 
it was a bar and it was Las Vegas. But when I saw her, I was like, she's here. She's here. Like I see Daenerys, like she's right there. Like definitely not her, but <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't. Who anyway. knew there was a fandom bar in Vegas? You are putting us on. I searched for it because I was in Vegas and I was like, but it's the finale. This is such a good segue, Michelle. Yes. Let's talk about it. So what are your thoughts on our society's fascination with Game of Thrones and House of yeah. the Dragon? There is so much violence and sexual indecency. Yeah. What does that have to say about us? I mean, the yeah. debauchery of it all. Like Ashley and I recently recapped the summer I turned pretty. And I'm having all types of crazy thoughts about the parent parental relationships. Like they're all Listen, swingers. And yeah. I'm like, what's wrong with me? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. The show that sends me in that way that I start thinking like, oh, I maybe am not ready is Euphoria. That's the one that I'm like, tell me this is not real. real. (laughs) Tell me, please tell me this is not really how it is. But yeah, you know, I think what does it say about me that I enjoy watching this like you said, very violent, very, you know, and I think what it is, is that we, we are going to have those thoughts. That's just a natural thing that you think about, you know, violence, you think about sex, you think about these things, right? It's kind of like disassociating it. It's taking it outside of yourself and letting those thoughts live Mm. outside of you. So it's almost like exposure therapy a little bit. You know what I mean? That letting that person do it and say the things and take the actions. The internet keeps making Rhaenyra and Damien or Damon. I always say his name wrong, but I'm also black. So <laughs> well, and also <laughs> it's spelled with a, a couple of little extra E's in there too. They're trying to make that happen. And I'm like, it's not happening. Make right. it stop, please. <laughs> like, you know what Why I mean? Why so many E's? <laughs> no, but like they're they're romanticizing that relationship. And I'm just like, no, I'm stop not it. there. Make it right. stop, please. So right. I just- it's just a fascinating thing. And yeah. I was telling yeah. Laura, I don't think I realized how much I have normalized the incest and everything that goes on in the Game of Thrones universe and House of the Dragon until I had to try to explain the last episode to my mom because she's oh, yeah. never Ooh. watched a single episode. And I was like, yeah, so right now, you know, they're at yeah. the funeral for Damon's wife, who was also uh, his relative. And then he's yeah. now out with his niece, <laughs> who's, you know, obviously they he, he's known her since birth, but right. he tried to marry her when she was a child. And yeah. now she's an adult. So now they, I guess she wants to be with him and, you know, she's also married to her cousin. And so once I started breaking it down, I was like, this is, what is this? What am I watching? How have I made all of this in my mind make sense for all of this time? I think, and going back to the original series real quick, I think the reason why for me, I rooted for Jon Snow and Danny was because they did not have the type of family relationship where he had known her. She had known him since they were children, whereas this feels so much more icky Icky. because (laughs) she's calling him uncle and saying, I need you at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in that, in that sense, like, are we all low key? open to incest or is it just no, that you know what I have, think it is like I, I shuttered any of the yeah. normal like social constraints that we have in life for the sake right. of following the story 
I don't think that we're like getting okay with it. I think more so it's like validation for yourself when you're like, I would never. So it's like you watch that (laughs) and you're like, oh yeah, no, that's definitely a no for me. So we, we feel better about ourselves in that way. Cause we're like, wow, like, did you really just kick that kid out of the window? Like he's a little kid and you just, and in your pilot episode too, I was like, episode one. Wow. 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 I may be critical of myself and like, there's things in life that I could do better, but you know what I've never done is kicked a little kid out of a window after getting down with my sibling. We forget. Janie was a monster. (laughs) A monster. And yet him so much. His arc was fascinating. He he backslid. What I will say is the fact that so many people were fine with Arya killing multitudes of people but oh, as yeah. soon as she decided to be a, a woman oh no cannot no, you know can't right. happen right I'm like, are you freaking serious like what are you talking about right i know we, oh, can, talk, uh, we can do a oh. whole game of thrones episode we may uh, when we do a yeah. recap because delora wants to do a recap of house of the dragon yeah we may have to do a crossover episode <laughs> with you damn dragons yeah <laughs> absolutely i'd be into that i um I had a grad student who wrote her entire thesis on Game of Thrones. So how many pages was it? A lot. (laughs) (laughs) Her basic argument was that when we talk about Game of Thrones, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, it's a very feminist text because we've got these women. They don't take any shit from anybody and they are badasses and they're this and they're that and they're the queen and they're blah, blah, blah. And she was like, that we're fooling ourselves if we look at Game of Thrones as a feminist text at all, but also specifically because of the perpetuation of the rape myth in three characters specifically. And Jamie was one of those characters, the way that the text encourages us to like forgive him and, oh, well, you know, he didn't mean it that, (laughs) you know what I mean? But he's, yeah, he's a rapist, but he's a good guy in general, right? Like how, no, 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 no. You don't just accidentally rape somebody. (laughs) That's, that's not how it works. So that could be a whole nother conversation too, um, in terms of the humanity that so often I feel like we do with villainous characters across the right. board in entertainment. I felt that like you, I'm not sure if you got into that show on Netflix. I had a I had a student in class the other day trying to convince me that he doesn't mean to be a serial killer. And I was like, he's a serial killer. Joe is a stone cold serial killer. <laughs> like, and it's not, this is not Dexter. Joe does not kill bad guys. There's Joe no, kills like, regular right. people. Yeah. But justifies it. And because we're in his head as an audience, we justify it. It's working on at least that student. <laughs> it is working on that student. And I was like, no, no, no. Like I have to draw the line here. I want to let you explore and like come to this. No, <laughs> but you're wrong. This is why yeah. it, your job must be incredible because I you really love it. Because <laughs> I get into these conversations. All of these things. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I do have one more question for you. Sure. Speaking of society. Yes. Is there a correlation between popular shows and current world events? Um, the example that I have is the rise of the mass singer and mm-hmm. how it's paired with the reality of the pandemic. I joke with Ashley all the time. Scandal 
would not have been able to survive into Trump's presidency like right. in Obama's presidency. Right. Things along those lines. Right. House of cards, we were done with all of that ish. Yeah. We were, you... It felt too real. Uh, Even Veep, which I loved. I loved Veep. Veep was like, we can't top. This is more satirical. We can't top anything that's going on. Right. I actually, I have a, a quote for you on that line. Shonda Rhimes did an interview with the Hollywood Reporter this is what she said. So this is Shonda Rhimes talking. She said, talking about scandal, there was a very specific planned progression that was going to be easy to tell because Hillary was going to be president and we were going to be living in the light, <laughs> but it wow. didn't occur. I'm still trying to come to terms with that. One bad thing after another keeps happening and the world feels very unstable. So in a world in which all of the things that we would write on scandal are happening in real life, it's very hard to write scandal the way we used to when it was like, let's make Washington the most outrageous, horrifying place it could ever be. Wow. I used to know how it ended. And then Donald Trump was elected. We had a destination. And I don't know if that's our destination anymore. Wow. Mm. But that's why we have Bridgerton, right? I, <laughs> I guess. The joy, the I guess. Find the joy. No. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, so to answer your question, there's 100% a correlation between what's happening in the world and what's happening in television. We are working through our fears, our concerns, our frustrations. The creators of those programs are working through their feelings about what's going on in creating the shows. And then we are working through those same things as we're processing and interpreting what they've made for us. So it, really, we're all just in a big conversation with each other, just trying to heal. And like Shonda Rhimes said, just try, you know, trying to live in the light. Couple more things for you, and we're gonna let you get out of here. We could all not right. have an episode with the TV doctor without getting our prescription. Okay, okay. okay. Delora and I have both dealt with work stresses this year and some major job transitions. So, what would you prescribe for us to tackle the anxiety and, let's be honest, self doubt that can come with beginning anew? So, have you all watched the Umbrella Academy? Absolutely. Yes. Okay, so this last season was very much, I think, a lesson in two chapters. One chapter being what was going on with Allison, which is the what not to do and how not to deal with that kind of transitional stress. And then Victor. So the transition from Vanya to Victor, while it's a different kind of transition than what you all are talking about, I think it's still the lesson that can be learned from that is that's one of the most monumental and personal transitions that someone can go through mm -hmm. and the way the bravery that it takes to kind of step into where you are right? As opposed to where you've been or what people think you should be. Watching Victor be rewarded for that bravery, I thought was really, really special. So getting to watch all of the people around Victor be like, oh, okay, cool. 
Yeah, that's fine. So let's go ahead and save the world. If you're uh, like, you know, are you, are you good? Like, let's go. That I thought was just fantastic. So for someone who is feeling anxiety about stepping into a new role, especially if it's a role that is maybe different than what other people expected or maybe would have picked for you. I think watching Allison is the, don't do it like this. Maybe do it like Victor, like Victor did it. All right. Well, doctor, guess what? Oh, we've taken that prescription. Okay. Oh, we have yay. utilized it. So we appreciate. I, lo- I love we that love that, that worked out for you. No side effects. No side effects <laughs> to speak of, except for, and I don't want to spoil this. There was one scene that gave me the heebie-jeebies, but it's because I have a thing with like clusters and bugs. Yes. And oh, so you yeah. probably know what I'm talking about. Yep. Yeah. Otherwise, no side effects from that prescription. Well, okay. So yeah. we thank you so much. <laughs> Final yeah. question for you. And yes. I almost want to go full circle a bit back to even you kind of talking about the racial aspects and how great it was for you to find Star Trek as a child to help you explain things. When we talk about your path, and I want to get some advice from you, one of the things that was really touching to me in a previous in conversation we've had with the wonderful Carla Renata, she is a film critic, but we talked about the lack of representation, particularly for Black women within that industry. So you being on the other side of that as being the educator, as having these students come to you, yeah. What advice do you have for those who want to follow on your path and how important is it for you to continue that path of representation within the industry? You know, faculty like to make disciples. <laughs> we do, There's nothing more exciting for me than when I am watching someone in my class light up the way I lit up when it happened to me, Right. So when I, when I realize that I have basically activated a TV monster like me, then I'm like, okay, what do I have to do to make sure that you are able to do this as well? And it's that much sweeter when it's also somebody who looks like me Mm -hmm. and who is willing to join this fight to call out Because, you know, this conversation that we've had has been essentially a big old love letter to TV, but that doesn't mean that there are not problems, deep, serious problems with television, right? Mm -hmm. And how as much as it can build us up and help us see ourselves as beautiful, et cetera, it can, uh, and not only can it, but it is in the active mission 24-7, 365 of tearing us down as well. And the only way to counteract that is to become activated, like I said, to start seeing what's there just beneath what you thought was there, right? So when I see somebody in my class who looks like me and comes from the same background and perspective as I do, who is willing to say the things about this medium that are hard to say, it's uncomfortable to say these things, but we have to, because that's the only way, right? Yes. I think back to, we we have to talk about Cosby. Yeah, we do. We need to talk about that. And we need to talk about all these other things as well. We need to talk about the rape myth. We need to talk about what I'm calling representational justice, right? 
it's so important that we are a team, right? So we got to have people behind the camera. We got to have people on the writing staff. We got to have people in front of the camera acting. It's not just about, we got one, that's enough. Mm-hmm. It's about telling and representing our truths. And then we got to have people who are teaching it and who are studying it and being critical of it because it's we have to approach it from all angles. We got to close in on it. That's the only way to get forward. Any advice for those who want to follow your path and go the academic route? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do it. <laughs> that's that's my advice. Honestly, you know, the saying, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. That's a lie. <laughs> that is that is just a pure lie. That is not true. But so I'll offer an adjustment to that. If you love what you do, you'll be okay with it being work, you know? Um, but it's still work, honey. It is work, but it's the best kind of work to do. And if you are willing to delay that gratification, right? The process of getting here for me was a long one. And I think a lot of folks now are unwilling to kind of delay that gratification. It's like, I need it now. I want to know right now. So the idea of four years of undergrad, two years of a master's, you know, four to five years of a PhD, then a couple of years on the job market before you get a tenure track job, and then six years to tenure, and another four to associate, and then another four to full professor. People are like, wait, is that 50? You know what I mean? It can't even math that up, right? But it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. So if you are committed to it, if you know that this, if you've had that moment where like, you know, me falling into that position of my academic hero, if you've gotten that sign that you're like, this is where I have to be, then you got it. You got to do it. And if you're just willing to kind of delay that gratification a little bit, there's gratifying moments along the way, you know, there should be enough to sustain you. Love it. And find people you trust. That's real. And listen to them. I was going (laughs) to say, um, to your point earlier, our conversation has overall been a love fest for television. Yeah. But if you think about it from the critical eye, a lot of the projects we're mentioning are recent projects. Yeah. We're just getting here. Right. So, yeah, this has been great. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us for our in conversation with you. We hope that the lovely listeners have gotten some great gems along the way. And again, we hope to have you back to do possibly our recap of House of the Dragon. But if not that, then something so that we can just sink our teeth in and get in even more into our discussion about some of these projects that we love. Yes, yes, yes. But again, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. The pleasure has been mine. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like we could have talked to her for a while. We had a lot. (laughs) We had a lot. We could have unpacked. (laughs) Absolutely. I appreciate her. I mean, this is what she does for a living, but her critical eye, like I appreciate that so much. And yeah, she's living the dream, actually. No, seriously. (laughs) I love talking about television. So to get to do it professionally is definitely ideal. Guys, stay tuned. We may be hopping on to 
Dr. Michelle Foss's podcast, which is the TV doctor. Um, So stay tuned for that in her podcast. The description is that she prescribes the television you should be watching to heal whatever ails you. So we're excited. We look forward to it for sure. Talk more GOT and House of the Dragon and all that good (laughs) stuff. Dumb dragons. And it was a hidden gem. So guys, be sure to go and check out her podcast in the meantime. But otherwise, we'll see you next time. Bye.